Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Thank you. It's great to be with you again. I so enjoyed being with you on Friday night, and it's such a blessing uh, to come back. Uh, see so many old friends and meet new friends as this church continues to multiply in its different locations and uh, in this super new building, which uh, I've never seen before. I've seen pictures of it that have been sent to me, uh, but it's a special joy uh, to actually be here with you this morning in this new location and to feel the strength of what's happening across the town as God is enlarging your field of service here in this key city of St. Louis. It's a joy to be with you. Thank you so much for your warm welcome. It was great to be here on Friday night, uh, speaking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I felt that being here really such a brief time is good to stay with that theme. And I want to speak to you this morning about continuing in the Holy Spirit and uh, enjoying what it is to be with Him. So I'm going to read to you a passage we did not read on Friday night, but probably the one that's most famous in connection with the coming of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, okay? Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. We're going to just read a few verses from here. So, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven And when this sound occurred, the crowd gathered together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in their own language. They were amazed, astonished, saying, why are not all these speaking Galileans? How is it that each of them, we hear them in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome. I can't read that line without remembering. I had to learn Latin at school. And these guys got it like that. (laughs) Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabs. We hear them in our own languages speaking the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? Others were mocking, saying, they're full of new wine. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea, all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give heed to my words. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Father, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for that reminder from the outset. There's nothing but the blood of Jesus that, Lord, deals with our guilt, our shame, our troubled consciences. Thank you. Now you've given us a clean conscience as a gift. 
a heart that's free to approach you. We're so grateful, Father. We thank you for your promise. You're not going to let us down as we build our lives on your truth. Lord, it's so wonderful to know these things and celebrate them together. Now, Father, we need your help. And we pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Rest upon us. We depend upon you. We thank you for your promise to be with us. Come, Holy Spirit. Lead us into truth. Take the word, make it live to us, we pray, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Do us good, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Just before we left the UK, there was the synod of the Church of England. Now, the Church of England, of course, is in England, but it's also all over the world, really. And on our television screens, on the news programs, we were seeing bishops coming in from all over the place, and uh, from Uganda and Zambia and Zimbabwe and Singapore, and all these Church of England guys are coming in for the Synod. Well, the Synod happens once a year. It's the kind of government of the Church of England. And you see these bishops come sweeping in and they go and kind of lock themselves away for a short season, a few days. Occasionally little things creep out of what they're talking about. But then there comes the end when they make their statement, this synod, the, the statement of the church. You know, in a sense, the day of Pentecost is, is it's a bit like the first public demonstration of the church. It's when the church went public. Uh, it had never gone public before. Jesus' ministry, of course. But now, Jesus has ascended to glory. His disciples are together, locked away in this upper room. And then the power of God falls upon them. And there's the first public presentation of the church of God. I mean, this is historic. This is an amazing historic day. It's the first day the church has ever been publicly presented. And what happens? But they think they're all drunk. I wonder if you've ever thought about that. It wouldn't be amazing if at the Synod in London at the moment, these bishops came out and said, what is going on? These guys are all drunk. That's what it says in the Bible. They're all drunk. That's what they thought. I mean, they, look, they look past it. They're gone. What's with all this? Uh, and this is the first representation of the church. Now, it's interesting. This is not written by an enemy of the church. You know, the church has got lots of enemies, more and more in our day. This is written in our Bible. It's not like, we don't really want to mention this, but no, they're very happy to mention it. Luke writes it out. They thought we were all drunk. They're not ashamed of that. There's something happening which is quite extraordinary. There's a, a phenomenon. They are experiencing something that is strange and weird, and maybe they're drunk. We're going to look at this a bit. What are they, why did they think they were drunk? You see, so many people think Christians are people who have certain rules to keep. I mean, what is a Christian? He's someone who's not allowed to do this. He can't do that. He's got to keep these rules. And you have to believe certain things. They're a bit weird, strange. That's what Christians are. They keep rules. They believe strange things. That's what Christians are. That's what many people think. That's Christianity. Rules to keep, things to believe. They don't know what the Bible says, actually, right back, for uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Or another place, your love 
is better than wine. Little hints back there, right through the Testament, right through the Bible. This experience of it's come and drink. The songs that we've been singing, one or two of those references, come and drink, that's in the Old Testament. Come and drink without money, without price. Come and drink wine. Come and experience God. That's the whole thing. Come and experience God. Jesus spoke to a woman at the well, an amazing woman. She'd had five husbands. I mean, she must have been a stunner, eh? If five guys said, will you marry? Will you marry? Will you marry? Will you? I mean, five of them. She must have been amazing. But by now, she's living with a guy who's not married. Maybe she's kind of over the top now. But I'll live with you. But, but I mean, she must have been amazing. And Jesus found her one day. And he's talking about water. Then he said, if you knew who was speaking to you, if you knew the gift of God, you'd ask him. He'd give you living water. And you would have in you a well of water springing up. Boy, what a statement. If you knew who was speaking to you, maybe you're not a Christian yet this morning. Someone's bullied you to come along. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew who was speaking to you, you'd ask. You'd have living water. This story is about the church bursting on the public scene and they've somehow got hold of something that is more than rules to keep and strange things to believe. They found something and it looks like they're drunk. Now, why does it look like they're drunk? Well, what are the things you would associate? If you were in downtown St. Louis last night and you saw a crowd and you thought, I think they're drunk. Why? What would make you think that they're drunk? Why do you think they're drunk? Well, I think probably because they're happy, right? They're, they're happy, they're bright, they're, they're, they're just celebrating. And, and, and as they come down the path, you think, maybe we'll cross over. I think they're all drunk. Why would we think that? Because they're happy. That's the first thing that comes to mind. That's what we think about. They're happy. And that's what was up true of these believers. It says in the Bible, it was, it was, it was joy unspeakable and full of glory. An amazing phrase. Joy unspeakable. They were happy. These Christians were not just formal guys. They were not just rule keepers. Their experience was joy unspeakable. Joy indescribable and full of glory. Another dimension, there's something happening with these people as they burst out on the street. That was their experience. And you find that Paul, writing from prison, one of the epistles in Philippians, he says this, and listen, he's in prison, and it says he's in chains. So he's got a Roman soldier here, he's got another Roman soldier there. He's in prison, and they're not modern prisons. There's kind of rats running around, and there's dirt and filth and... Horrific. And he writes this, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. You think, come off it, Paul. No, that's, and, it, and he's writing this out of his own heart, full of joy. And he doesn't know if he's going to live. He says in the same letter, whether I shall live or not, I don't know. Because, well, he could be thrown in the arena. He could be martyred. But hallelujah. He said, what is it with this guy? He's so happy, he's so bright, and he's instructing us. He doesn't say, please pray for me. I think, no, 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 just be happy. Rejoice. That's the nature of this early church. It's one of the things that you couldn't hold back this church because it spilled out with happiness. That was the characteristic. At one time, Paul himself is in prison. Another time, he spent half his life in prison. 
And he's went, he, he, he saw a vision. He was in a place called Macedonia. And he saw this, oh, beg pardon, he was in another place. And he saw this, this call, come over to Macedonia. He didn't know whether to go this way or that way. And the Spirit said, come to Macedonia. So he and Silas, they go to Macedonia. And within a few days, yeah, he's in prison again. And his back's bleeding, he's in the stocks, and it's midnight. And he's saying to Silas, was it you who had that vision about come over here? Or was it you? He goes, come over and help. Yeah, thanks a lot. We're in prison. But what you read is this. At midnight, what can you hear down there? The jailer says, what's that? I, I can hear them singing. At midnight, who, who smuggled the booze in? How did that happen? This is a characteristic. There's happiness in this church. That's a characteristic of it, even in terrific pressure. And then secondly, and closely associated with that, you know, it's not just that they're happy. They're kind of more than happy. They're, I want to call it liberty, all right? They, they're, they're singing, but they're singing loud. And they're laughing, and they're laughing loud. Wendy and I used to uh, live in a street with a bus stop outside our house. Uh, and uh, in England, you depend on buses more than you do here. And, uh, and we, we, just down the street from us, we live very near the coast, near the sea. And there was a bar uh, down by the seaside. And people used to come from that bar, stagger up the road, turn the corner, and come to our bus stop outside our bedroom. And so it's kind of a liberty. They're not just happy, they don't care. That's one of the marks of drunken people. They don't care. Okay, so it's 12 o'clock at night, who cares? That's the mark. They don't care. They don't care what you think of them. They're free from that. That's an amazing thing. You know, if that was true of all of us, boy, the impact we'd make. We don't care what people think of us. We can be so aware of what will people think of me. What about my reputation? How will it go? And, and drunkenness sets you free from that. That's why they thought these guys are drunk. They don't care. We've just crucified their leader. What are they doing? They don't care. There's something about drunkenness that sets you free from self-awareness. You don't care anymore. And Jesus said these things. He said, if you try and preserve your life, you'll lose it. If you're willing to lose your life, you'll actually find it. Some of us, we kind of, in the workplace, we kind of keep our head down a bit. We don't say, I'm a Christian, because, well, what will they think? Maybe they'll cut me off. Maybe they'll think I'm weird. So, hmm, none of these guys, they didn't care anymore. That was one of the marks. That's one of the marks of being drunk. You don't care. These, these guys, are they drunk? They're happy. They're carefree. They're not taken up with self. They're not taken up with my image. What will my image be? They can't care. They're full of the Holy Spirit. They don't care. That's one of the marks of this early church. And then with it, boldness, all right? A kind of boldness. I know I, I, when I was saved, I mean, I was saved out of a non-Christian family. My parents were not Christians. I never saw a Bible in my home. I just grew up like a normal young guy 
in my town, which meant I was often drunk. That's my experience. I was often drunk. We get drunk on the weekends. We just get drunk. And one of the reasons we we went and got drunk was we want to try some boldness. <laughs> I remember going to the dance hall. We go to the dance hall, and the guys would go up the stairs, and there's the dance hall there, and there's the bar there. We got the stairs into the bar just to get a few drinks. Now, <laughs> now I can go and ask anyone to dance because you know you're a bit shy. And you find some boldness. And so these guys were bold. And you even do things you can't hardly believe that you did them. I know sometimes you'd have Christmas parties. We'd have in offices, you have Christmas parties and the drink starts flowing. And you know, people, did I really dance on the table? Yeah, you danced on the table. Did I really? Yeah, you did. How did I do that? I think you were a bit over the top. And you didn't care. You kind of had a boldness. Come on, come up and dance with me. Did I do that? Yes, you did that. How come? Well, you were drunk. It does that. It sets you free and makes you courageous to do things you wouldn't normally do. A kind of boldness. And that's what they said about these Christians. They said they saw them and they took note, it says in the scripture, they took note of their boldness. I thought, these guys have got courage. They're kind of indifferent. They're kind of free. Wow, that's what the Holy Spirit did to these guys. Now, remember what they were before. Remember in the gospel stories, when it's coming up to the cross, and Jesus looks in real danger, and they turn on the disciples. Say, aren't you with him? And they, it says they all ran away. All. Peter's is famous. Peter says, no, I'm not with him. I don't know him. Now, surely you've got that Galilean accent like him. You come from, no, 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 I don't know him at all. And he swore and cursed, I don't know him. Well, it's not exactly bold. But here, they took note of their boldness. They're transformed. They don't care. And they're out there. Right, so they're happy. They're free. They're bold. This is some, these are some of the marks of being drunk or being filled with the Holy Spirit. Then again, just one more. I don't know what to call it, really. Um, I think they're kind of lost. Let, let me put it this way. Paul says this at one place. He had an experience of God, and he says this, whether I was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. You don't know? No, I don't know. I was, I was meeting with God. I don't, know, was it, I don't know if I was in my body or... What is that? What is that? Then it says about Peter. Peter was praying in a place called Joppa and he fell into a trance. What is that? And he saw a sheet come down from heaven. Then in Acts 22, it says Paul was in a trance. You know, like we often are, aren't we? I mean, it's like, it's like this extraordinary experience of the Spirit where... What you, you know, this real, this life you've come into, this life in God. We've come to meet God. Dave Dave said at the beginning, we've come to meet God. These men were, yeah, I don't know whether I was in my body even anymore. And then the book of Revelation starts with, on the certain day, I was in the Spirit. I was in the Spirit, and then I saw the heavens opened, and I saw a throne, and I saw all that he went on to see. Wow. It's kind of, he was absolutely in the spirit. It's kind of, wow, 
It's another dimension, beloved. And yet it's there for us. Something for us to say, Lord, I, I want this. I don't want to just rules, places I have to be, dates I have to keep. I want to know God. I want to experience Him. I want to know this joy that floods up. I want to know this liberty that I don't care about my reputation. I want to do stuff I would never have done. Step out of it. I want to come, Lord, can I have experience of you? Well, really, I somehow see you, I know you. See, these are the things associated with these guys being filled with the Holy Spirit. John Piper, famous Bible commentator, tremendous theologian, says this, to be in his presence is the soul's final feast. Beyond this, there is no quest. Words fail. We call it pleasure, joy, delight, but these are weak pointers to the unspeakable experience. Being in the presence of God. He calls it unspeakable experience. Now, there are also great contrasts. You see, being drunk is actually escapism. It's leaving the real world behind and stepping out of it. And people get drunk for all sorts of reasons. They get drunk for, because of boredom. That's why I used to get drunk. I was bored. I hated my job. I was so bored with it. I was once in my office. I remember there was about five people in my office. And at one point, they all, they all for one reason or another, were out of the office. I remember pushing my chair back and screaming, ah, I hate this job. I'm bored to tears. But the weekend, we go and get drunk because we'd have some fun. It was stepping out of the world I actually lived in into a make-believe world, a made-up world. It wasn't real. It was escape. Sometimes it's escape from boredom as it was for me. Sometimes it's escape from pressure. People live with huge pressure, many demands on their lives. They start getting anxious. They realise it's getting to them, so they escape from that. Escape from the pressure of life. Sometimes people escape from regret. Their heart's been broken. A relationship died. Something they never dreamed would happen to them. And they turn to drink. They turn to get out of the pain of remembering. So people turn to drink as an escape from the real world. They do it for all sorts of reasons. And it's a kind of short-term unreality. Getting out of the real world. It's escape. That's what drunkenness really is. So it looked like, are they all drunk? Because that's what drunk people look like. They don't care. They're free. They've escaped. But it's interesting. That's where there's a contrast. Because that's not what it's like for us. Hallelujah. For us, it's not an escape from reality. But when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's an underlining of the things we really know. Let me put it this way. Let me illustrate what I mean. If you're a Christian, you know that God loves you. Because the Bible tells you that. You know the old children's song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Or no, God so loved the world that he gave his only son and so on. And sometimes people have been led to Christ by saying, look, take that word, the world, out, put your name in there. Now, John so loved God so loved John Smith, God so loved you, just put your name in there. And oh, wow, yeah, okay, so God, yeah, it's great, God must love me. 
And yeah, that's the right, that's right to know it because the Bible says it. That's the fundamental reason for knowing it. But it's wonderful when the Bible says this, the love of God is poured out in our hearts. It's something we experience, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I've got a commentary on, uh, on Romans 5 where it says that, and the very serious commentator says this, an abundant, extravagant effusion. An abundant, extravagant effusion of the love of God. He talks about that in the context of pressure in Romans 5. He talks about tribulation and pressure. But it's okay because the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So it's not just that we know it because it says it in the Bible. But we enjoy experiencing this love, this wonderful love. It's flooding our hearts. We know it's true and we feel the wonder of it. It's in our hearts. And then also it says when we're Christians, we are sons of God. It says so in the Bible. You know, it says in John 1.12, as many as received him, he gave the right to be called children of God. Hallelujah, I'm a child of God. It says so in the Bible. But it also says in the Bible, having adopted us, he pours into our heart the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, there's something from our hearts. It's not, it's not just always oh, in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is witnessing with our spirit that we are, and we say, Abba, Abba. Uh, that, you know, it's the same in every language, you know, Dada, Papa. It's one of those things that the little children say. It's, it stumbles out. I was once in Tel Aviv airport, and I, I saw a guy walk across, and I saw a little boy running after him, and he's shouting out, Abba, Abba, Abba. I thought, oh, wow. I always remember... One of my young sons, he's a father now with kids, but he was uh, kind of this high. And he ran into the room, I was sitting reading, he jumped on my lap, put his arms around my neck and said, hello, darling dad. <laughs> I shall never forget it. And often when I'm praying, I borrow it. I say, oh, darling dad. It's, it's in my heart. I can call you father. I often sing that in my, my devotion. I can call you Father, for I am your Son today, tomorrow, and always. I can serve you, Father. I will seek your face. I love to say, you're my Father. I feel it in here. It's not always in the Bible. I feel it. I feel this Abba cry. And when I got baptised in the Holy Spirit, that's one of the first things I felt. I thought, oh, Abba. I'd been a Christian for six years. I knew God was my Father. But when that gushing came in, Abba, Abba. Father, oh, that nearness of God, that intimacy. I'd never felt it before. I knew God was there. God had answered lots of prayers for me in many ways, but I'd never felt that before. It's, it's, it's immediate. You see, a lot of joy is mediated. I was delighted to see between the meetings. I looked on my phone and I see Brighton, my home team, in the Premier Soccer Division, one away yesterday. <laughs> Hallelujah. And they're third, or maybe fourth, in the Premier League in England, having beaten Manchester United away this season already. <laughs> so I've got reasons for joy. So joy often comes through reason. They won. She said, yes. I passed the exam. I can drive now. You know, joy is mediated to you by things that happen. The joy of the Spirit is immediate. It's not mediated. It's just, oh, comes. 
just floods you. It just floods you. You just feel, oh, Lord, thank you. That's what's happening with Paul in prison with his back bleeding. He's not saying, yeah, well, that third whip wasn't so bad. No, it's like, hallelujah, there's a joy that is supernatural. It's like, if you drink a lot, you begin to feel it more. If you get more and more filled with the Holy Spirit, you feel it more. That's what God's saying to us. So Friday night, we talked about that initial baptism of the Spirit that the Bible speaks of. They laid hands on and they received the Holy Spirit. The baptism, like we're going to baptise someone in water soon, is the beginning. Baptism is the beginning. You start your Christian life. It's a beginning. The baptism of the Spirit is that beginning. It's your first experience. And then you keep on being filled. We'll come to that shortly. You go on being filled. You go on being filled. And that's why I'm speaking about this today. We talked about being baptised in the Spirit Friday night. Now we're saying, come on, we want to go on, go on, go on. Because this is the water of life that we keep on enjoying. And so, yeah, we know that we're children of God. The Bible says so, but then we start feeling it. Darling Dad, it's in our hearts. We feel it. You know, you feel it. I love taking old hymns. I often sing them. I have a hymn book by my side when I'm having my devotional time in the morning. I've got old hymns often written in revival. Great old hymns. They're written when God was pouring out his spirit in the days of Wesley and so on. And you sing, I sing, mine, 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 I know thou art mine. I feel it. I'm enjoying it. It's moving, it's moving me. It's thrilling my heart. I start my days with that. I start my days with that. Do you want to enjoy God? See, some of us start, and they say, when you pray, start with confession of sin. Don't do it. See, sometimes you clear the decks. First of all, come to God and say, I'm sorry for this. So you can clear the decks. Don't do it. You see, when you do that, the Bible says you have someone called the accuser of the brothers and sisters who accuses us day and night. That's the only thing that the Bible says Satan does all the time, day and night. It's not like if we don't go downtown St. Louis, we won't meet the devil. No, he comes to you when you're trying to pray. And when you say, I'm sorry for this, he'll say, and that. Oh, yeah, that as well. And that. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Oh. And so people hate praying because they, they, their prayer life is sin-centred, guilt-centred. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm a terrible Christian. Instead, Jesus said, when you come, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Come Father conscious. Come relationship conscious. If you use the Lord's Prayer, which I find a helpful structure, I use it myself daily. I don't say the Lord's Prayer. I use the structure of it. You will come to and forgive us our trespasses. It's not like we're indifferent. It's not like we don't care. But our life relationship with God is not sin-centred. His blood has cleansed me. It's a bit like Peter, you remember? Jesus is washing their feet. And he comes to Peter, and Peter says, you're not washing my feet. You know, how am I? You're, you're the Savior, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you've got no part in me. He said, wash me all over then, wash me all over. This is Peter, one extreme. And then Jesus says, you don't need, you are clean already. You just got, your feet got dirty coming here. See, beloved, if you're in Christ, you're clean already. By one offering, he has perfected us for all time, says in Hebrews. Hallelujah. 
by one offering. We sang about it, this precious blood by one offering. These Old Testament priests, they're forever offering again, offering again, offering again. They never get to sit down, it says in the book of Hebrews. It says, Jesus sat down, <laughs> hallelujah, because by one offering, he had perfected us for all time. Hallelujah. I wake up tomorrow morning, hallelujah, Father, here I come, you're perfect, son, already. He's perfected us. That's what grace is all about. He's taken away our guilt. He set us free. We're righteous because of what he's done. And then we may come through this prayer, look, look, and forgive me my trespasses. I got dirty there. I shouldn't have done that. If anyone sins as an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and if we confess our sins, he'll cleanse us. And we press on again. That's so important, beloved, that we know that, we enjoy that, we stay in grace, we stay saints, not sinners. God has done a dramatic thing in us. It affects us, sets us free from guilt. It's one of the reasons we have joy. We have no more guilt. It's been dealt with. We have a clean conscience. Got a clean conscience? That's the gift of God. That's for us. And so the Holy Spirit makes these things real to us. We know it's real because it says so in the Bible. But by the Spirit, we experience it. We know this joy, unspeakable and full of glory. One more. It says that we have everlasting life. Again, that's a Bible promise. If you believe in him, you have everlasting life. Wow, it's good to know that. It's written in the Bible. But it says when you receive the Spirit, listen, you are tasting of the age to come. You're already tasting it. You're already, you're part, you've passed from death into life. The Spirit makes that real. You're, you're already entering in. You are a new creation and the Holy Spirit draws you into the age to come. You're experiencing the age to come. It's not like in this world, we live on a flat plane and then when we get saved, whoa, here we go. No, we're already in advance tasting of the powers of the age to come and the Holy Spirit makes that real to us. That's our enjoyment. That's why these people look drunk. Jesus came back from the dead. I love this. He didn't say, go and tell those miserable failures I'm alive. He could have said that to Mary Magdalene. Go and tell that useless gang who ran away. He doesn't say that. He had before called them friends. At one point, they said, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Wow, that was quite a day. Jesus called me friend. But on this day, he says, go and tell my brothers. My brothers. Jesus did such a work that lifted them into brother. He's, we're co-heirs with Christ. We're brothers with Jesus. He's bringing us to glory. And we're already tasting something of that by the Holy Spirit. That, that's why we want Holy Spirit meetings, not formal meetings. Not why we came in, we get out quick, let's go and go. We can meet with God. We can enjoy God together. We can taste of the powers of the age to come. And some meetings we feel that more than others, but there are wonderful times when we feel, wow, God is here now. I'm tasting of the powers of the age to come. I'm a brother with Christ. I'm a co-heir. Amazing, the gospel's done this for us and the Holy Spirit makes it real. Now the drunkenness has ill effects. That's a contrast. Drunkenness, actually, alcohol is, is not a stimulant, it is officially, 
a depressant. Alcohol depresses your normal restraints. You wouldn't do that, but alcohol kind of just just overcomes your restraints and makes you free. So if you're with a crowd, you get crazier and crazier because your normal restraints, it doesn't stimulate, it pushes down your restraints. That is actual fact. That's the chemistry of alcohol. It restrains. The Holy Spirit inspires, motivates, excites. He makes things more and more real to you. So some people, when people are drunk, they start fighting. You know, you think they're drunk, not because they're singing, but because they're hitting one another. Well, why did she do that? Why did that? Look, she's got herself pregnant. How did that? Well, actually, she was drunk. You know, it just all the normal just went. It's drunkenness can be very destructive. Drunkenness can get you addicted. It can take all your money. Drunkenness can ruin your life. It's not just make-believe. It can be ruinous. The difference is that be filled with the Spirit is completely different. It even says in Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfil the lusts of the flesh. Will not. In fact, it's in Greek a, a double negative. In other words, you certainly will not. If you're full of the Spirit, you will not fulfil the lusts of the flesh. That's the promise of the Bible. So we want to be full of the Spirit because it will free us from those things. These are promises which contrasts with what drunkenness does. Drunkenness also makes speech slur, doesn't it? <laughs> you kind of lose your way, I can't speak properly. When Peter was full of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, when they finished glorifying God in all these languages, he stood up and preached. His mind was as clear as anything. And he quoted, if you look at his sermon on the day of Pentecost, he quoted from Psalms, from prophets. He preached, he preached. This is what Joel said would happen. And he's preaching it. He's got no notes. He's filling his mind. And so he's got word and spirit, spirit and word. That's what we want. We want churches full of the spirit, full of that joyful freedom, full of truth. We don't want to just go flapping off, crazy charismatics. We want the word of God holding us to truth like Peter. And we fill, we fill with truth and the Spirit. And so Paul says in this outrageous word in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, be filled with the Spirit. There it is again, that weird comparison, drunkenness with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking to one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, combining truth. That's what we want to do. That's why I love singing truth. I love songs full of truth. Sometimes churches sing songs that don't say anything at all. It's much better to sing songs full of truth so that we're speaking to one another. We're singing out these truths and we're getting more and more filled with the Holy Spirit. So beloved, that's what the New Testament describes this wonderful church as. And Paul says this as a definition. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. In other words, forget all those rules about you're not allowed to eat this or eat that. The kingdom of God isn't meat and drink. The kingdom of God is righteousness, which is freely given, peace, which is the result of that, and the joy of the Holy Spirit. That's what it's all about. That we should know this joy and sometimes people looking in might think, hey, they're all drunk. Because they're so happy, 
They're so free from self-consciousness. They're so full of the word as well. So beloved, not only let's be baptized in the Spirit, as we said Friday night, but let's carry on being filled, being filled. That's what it says in Ephesians 5. Be being filled, continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the outbreak of your glorious church, heaven on earth, the joy of the Lord as their strength, the empowering of God flooding their hearts. Father, I pray for this wonderful church. Thank you for these 25 years, your extraordinary faithfulness to bring us to this time. We're so grateful, Lord. Father, we ask you, may we continually be filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. We know that you've chosen weak things. You've chosen foolish things. You know, you know that we bring so little to the table. But Lord, you're willing to fill us. So Lord, keep filling us, we pray, with your fullness, that we might glorify your wonderful name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.